But I'd like to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our series titled Living by the Book, trying to understand what is God's will for us in the various stages of life, the various stations that we find ourselves in, whether we are single or married or parents or children, whether we are in the empty nest stage, we want to understand what God's will is for us in our various roles and our various seasons of life. And today we're going to be looking at God's will for husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us some very direct and clear instruction as to how God desires relationships to function in the home. He speaks to how wives are to relate to husbands, how husbands are to relate to wives, how children are to respond to their parents, and how fathers are to treat their children. Last week, uh, we looked at Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, and how wives submit ultimately to Christ. And therefore, they submit to his delegation of authority in the home. They submit to their husbands as to the Lord. But as we continue in this section, we'll see that Paul spills a lot more ink addressing husbands, telling us what our duties involve as far as how we relate to our wives. The greater emphasis in this chapter is really on the man's responsibility in the home. So I'm going to read our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25 through verse 33. This is God's word to us this morning. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy. And without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we approach your word this morning already having been reminded of your love for us. We've been humbled by that. Many of our hearts have been comforted this morning by the reality of your perfect unconditional, faithful love to us, a needy people. Lord, we ask that as we gaze at Christ this morning, as we consider the cross, Lord, that you would challenge us, show us what it looks like to love. And Lord, for those who do not have a husband, I pray that as they hear this teaching on how husbands ought to love, that they would remember the perfect and all-satisfying love that they have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would instruct all of us as to what love love looks like, and that you would help us to delight in your word, to delight in your design for the home and the family, and that that we would see in the scriptures here a picture of your glory, and that it would shape us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The main point for our text this morning is something that Paul says three times. He says it in verse 25, husbands, love 
your wives. In verse 28, husbands should love their wives. In verse 33, let each one of you love his wife. The main idea here is husbands, embrace the joyous duty of Christ-like love in your marriage. That's Paul's aim in writing this text. That's what he wanted these believers to hear and understand and apply. And therefore, we need to make that the main point of the sermon this morning. That we, as husbands, those of us who have that privilege and that duty, we must embrace the joyous duty of Christ-like love in marriage. So we're going to look at just three points this morning. The what, the how, and the why of loving our wives. Number one, husbands must show Christ-like love. That is what we are called to do. That's a command. We see it, again, three times in this text. Now, while wives are instructed, if you remember last week, as to what their role is, how they relate to their husbands. Remember, wives, we saw in verse 22, submit to your own husbands. That refers to role in the home. The man is not necessarily instructed specifically as to what his function is, his role is. He is the head, as we saw last week. The husband is the head of the wife, verse 23. And therefore, the wife is to submit to him. And a wife's submission implies something. It implies, husbands, that we will lead. Otherwise, what is she submitting to? Uh, It implies that there is headship being demonstrated in the home, that there is leadership that is being fulfilled by the husband. So when Paul gets to this section dealing specifically with husbands, his emphasis is not so much that husbands lead. He assumes that. He's expecting that. That's the very minimum. But Paul rather is emphasizing how we are to lead. How we are to fulfill that role, that function of leadership and headship in the home. As we lead our wives, we must do so in a loving manner. We must love them. And this is a command we are given, ultimately not because of our feelings. We're not commanded to love because we feel that way. We are not commanded to love because of the actions of our wives, because of what they've done to somehow earn that love. We are commanded to love out of our submission to Christ. We saw last week, wives submit to husbands as to the Lord. A wife's ultimate allegiance is to Christ. And guess what, men? Our ultimate allegiance is also to Christ. And we submit to him, which means we are called to love our wives. They may not be perfect. They may sin at times. They may be undeserving. Their love for you may even fade. Their external beauty will fade. But this command to love our wives remains as long as Christ is on the throne. In creation and in God's command, there is authority. Uh, I love what Matthew Henry uh, writes, commenting on the creation of Adam and Eve. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Husbands, we are to love our wives. Our leadership is to be marked by love. And this is really a direct challenge to the sinful wiring of our hearts, isn't it? I mean, there's a reason Paul has to tell us to do this. Because we don't do it perfectly, and we don't do it faithfully. Part of the result of sin in the garden, if you remember, what happened back in Genesis 3, was that the marriage relationship itself was damaged. As Adam and Eve violated God's will and they took the fruit from the tree and ate from it, 
A curse fell upon them and upon all the world. And part of that curse meant that the woman would desire the place of her husband. Remember that, what God said to Eve, that her desire would be for her husband, meaning that she would want his job, that she would want to rule over him and have mastery over him. That's a distortion of how things are supposed to be. Rather than joyfully embracing his expression of loving leadership, she would now seek to be a usurper. And on the flip side, rather than the husband's love for his wife being expressed with care and gentleness and humility and service, his authority would be exercised harshly, with pride in a cruel manner. The curse that fell upon them said, but he will rule over you as an authoritarian, as a dictator. Man and woman would now be at odds with one another because of sin, separated from God, struggling against one another, and struggling to survive in a hostile and broken creation. And you know what? Their situation is our situation too. We too bear within us the marks of sin, the desires to step outside of God's design and to do it our way. And we too live in a world that's broken and we live with people who are broken, people who are sinful, people who don't always fulfill God's design the way that they are intended to. But the good news is that Jesus came to crush the head of the serpents. Remember what God promised Adam and Eve, that little kernel of hope, that first glimpse of the gospel that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the one who had lied to them, the one who had deceived them, the one who had tempted them to violate God's plan. God's plan is to rescue us from death, to restore us to himself, to restore us to one another, and to roll back the effects of the curse through his gracious plan of salvation. Paul tells us here in Ephesians that those who believe, according to chapter 2, have been brought from death to life. We're told that this is an undeserved gift of God's grace. If you flip back to chapter 2, you see in verses 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This gift of grace means not only that we've been restored to God, not only that we've been restored to one another, but now we have been set free to live a life of good works. We're called in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're told in chapter 5, verse 1, to be imitators of God as beloved children, which means among other things, that we are to love one another. And nowhere is this command to love more important than in marriage. The marriages of believers are not to be marked by those vestiges of the curse, that conflict, that seeking for control, harshness. No. No. Rather, as those transformed by grace, those who've been given new life, we are called to now walk in good works and reflect God's original and good design for marriage. So husbands, love your wives. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here in this command to us. We do not love them just because your wife wants you to, though she does. You don't just love your wife because you promised you would in your wedding vows, although you did. So don't flake out. Keep your word. We don't even just love our wives because it's good for our children to have a stable and secure and loving home, although it definitely is and has a massive impact in their lives. 
ultimately, husbands must love their wives because the supreme king of all the universe loves us and now commands us to love our wives. This is his design. This is his desire. And as recipients of Christ's mercy and salvation, it is our duty to obey this command to love our wives. But that begs the question, what does it really mean to love our wives? How do we know if we're doing it right? Well, we're not only commanded to love our wives, that's the what, but we're also shown how. So husbands must love their wives with Christ-like love. But number two, husbands must follow Christ's model. Husbands, we are to follow Christ's model. Look at our text in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, that word love means a lot of different things to different people. To some people, that word love means feelings of attraction, those romantic desires, perhaps even the physical aspect of desire. To others, love means something more like unconditional affirmation and support, right? That, that if someone loves me, that means that they seek to empower me and help me fulfill my dreams. And to some people, love may mean a deep mystical connection. You know, the butterflies, the person who just gets me. They know the words I'm going to say before I say them. To others, it means being compatible and just enjoying being with someone. That you just fit good together. That it just makes sense to share life and enjoy life together. But all of these things, as good and as, as real as they may be, is that all that it means to love our wives? Is that what Paul's referring to? Is this what God desires? Well, in order for us to obey this command to love our wives, we need to know what it means. We need to know what it looks like. And Paul gives us a working definition by pointing us to the ultimate example of love, the sacrificial, sanctifying, satisfying love of Jesus. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, some of you in the room here this morning may be brand new Christians, and you might be saying, wow, my, my calling as a husband, this seems like a lot, and I'm not really sure what to do, and I haven't done a lot of reading or study on this. Some of you might say, you know what, I grew up in a home where I didn't have a good example of this. I never saw my dad love his wife the way Christ loved the church. Maybe you didn't even know your father. But no matter what your experience, no matter your background, we are all given the same standard. And we're all given the same example. And that's the example of Jesus Christ. Love is not defined by us. Not as, love is not defined by the culture. Love is defined and demonstrated primarily and perfectly by Jesus Christ. He is the highest expression of God's love towards us, the greatest demonstration of love in history. How did Christ love the church? Paul says he gave himself for us, and he's referring specifically to what Jesus did when he came down, was born as a baby, clothed himself in human flesh, and he lived a perfect life, and he ended that life by going all the way to the cross, willingly laying down his life for sinners like you and sinners like me because he loved us. He loved us to the point of death on the cross. Because we were separated from God because of sin, he suffered and died. He poured out his life for ours, suffered in our place, experiencing the righteous wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our rebellion. 
This is how Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. Therefore, in calling us to love like Christ, Paul has some specific things in mind. I'm just going to grab a, a, couple, a couple different uh, evidences of this Christ-like love. Number one, if we're going to love like Christ, if we're going to give ourselves for our wives, the first thing it's going to require is initiative. Christ-like love takes initiative, men. Listen to what 1 John 4, 9 says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction of punishment for our sins. Romans 5, 8 gets at a similar idea. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the point. The love of Christ was not, let me underline that, it was not, according to Scripture, a response to our love for him. Think about that. Christ loved you before you loved him. And he didn't love you because you loved him. The love of Christ was not a response to our love. You know what it was? It was a response to our need. A response to our need. So listen, if you are waiting on something in your wife, waiting to see something, waiting for her to do something, waiting for her to show you something, before you will act in love towards your wife, then listen, men, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong because that's not how Christ loved us. He took initiative. He responded not to our love for him but to our desperate need. Christ-like love takes initiative. It takes initiative because its aim is to serve rather than to be served, seeking to meet the needs of the other rather than getting your own needs met. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Husbands, that's what it looks like, in part, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It means you take initiative. It means you don't wait to see something in her that deserves love. It means you see her need, and you take initiative to step forward and meet that need. This service, which is really what love, the shape that love takes, this service does include simple acts of service. It means, yeah, take out the trash, you know, help with the laundry, you know, help her with, with whatever thing she has on her plate. But this concept of service goes a lot deeper than just that. Because you can be a horrible husband and still help out around the house. This means more than that. I love what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. It says, husbands, live with your wives, get this, in an understanding way, showing honor to her. So let me ask you, husbands, do you understand your wife? Do you study her? Because if you don't, you won't see the ways in which you need to love her and serve her. You just won't realize it. You'll be like a bull in a china shop who doesn't know what he's running over and crashing into. We need to understand who our wives are, to study them. Does that describe you or do you spend your time wishing that your wife understood you? Do you seek to discover and meet the needs of your wife or is your aim in your marriage to have your needs met? Are you waiting for her to initiate and show love to you or are you stepping out studying her, pursuing her, initiating love towards her. Men, we don't just love our wives when they look a certain way or when they do certain things or when they show a certain kind of love to us. 
Our love needs to be the kind that initiates, the kind of love that loves her for the sake of obedience to Christ and for the sake of the expansion of her joy in Christ. Christ-like love, first of all, takes initiative to meet the needs of the other. But there's a second idea here. Christ-like love doesn't just take initiative, but it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial again. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that meets our deepest need and satisfies the demands of a holy God. Our love, like Christ's, is to be sacrificial, which means it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Brothers, have you set a limit to the extent of your love and service to your wife? Because you, if you haven't gone to the point of death, then the Bible tells us that there is more to do. There is further to go before we have fulfilled our duty to love our wives. Are you willing to meet her needs even if it costs you? you know, I know a lot of us, we love doing things for our wife if we can, when we can, in ways that we like to love them. But what about when it costs us? Are you willing to do the hard things? Are you willing to love her when you're tired, when you're busy? I mean, when you're busy with important things, important things that have to do with your house and your career and your finances, are you willing to love her when things are difficult? Do you seek to place yourself between her and the difficulties and demands of life? Are you the buffer? Do you step out front and take it on the chin to shelter her, to sacrifice, to take the bullet for her? Or do you seek your comfort? Do you seek your health? Do you seek your happiness? Do you seek your joy at her expense? Husbands, we are called to lay down our lives for our wives. It is a costly and sacrificial kind of love. And it's hard to do this, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to do this because it costs us. It's hard to do this because it means we have to be unselfish. But it's also hard because, you know what? This kind of love is not always recognized. This kind of love is not always received. When those acts of service, when that costly sacrificial love is not noticed in your home, because it won't always be. When it's not appreciated by your wife, as godly as she is, she may not always appreciate it. When those acts of service seem to go unnoticed, does that shut you down? Because we're called to keep going at that point. Remember the model for us of love is Christ, as Christ loved the church, and consider how his sacrifice for us was not contingent upon anything in us. Think about our love for Christ. How often does our response to his love and mercy and kindness fall short? How often do we take Jesus for granted? How often do we forget him? How often are we unfaithful to him? Yet what does Jesus do? He forgives, he faithfully loves, and he has sacrificed his very life for us. Brothers, this is the model for our loves for our wives. We're to take initiative. This love is to be sacrificial. Third, Christ-like love is also to be a sanctifying love, a sanctifying love. Our text in Ephesians 5, or 525, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. And notice the purpose in Christ's 
love for us. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify means to set her apart, to make her holy. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul writes in Titus chapter 2 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So that's saving us, that's rescuing us from sin and from the penalty from sin. But Paul continues, not just to redeem us from all lawlessness, but also to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The love that Christ shows you and me not only forgives us and means that we don't have to go to hell, praise God, but it also changes us. It purifies us. It, it, it brings us towards holiness and maturity. It makes us like Christ. And that's the model for our lo- love for our wives. Let me ask you, husbands, is your love for your wife the kind of love that pushes her closer to Jesus? Because that's the model for us. And that means that sometimes we're going to love our wives perhaps in ways that they don't want to be loved. Because do we always want to have our sin challenged? Do we always want to have our idolatrous dreams go unsupported by those around us? No. But a Christian husband is not called to reinforce the sinful patterns or the idolatrous desires of his wife. Biblical love is willing to offend. Biblical love is willing to confront. Biblical love is willing to risk the comfort of sin for the conflict of sanctification. We must speak the truth in love. And we do this by bringing the word to bear. It's not our preferences. It's not us trying to shape our wives into the image of what we want them to be for our own Desires, no, we are to seek to wash them with the water of the word. The standard for what we want our wives to be is not some fantasy of what we think the perfect wife is. The goal for us in seeking to shape our wives and lead them and shepherd them and encourage them and help them, we want them to be like Christ, sanctified, holy, unique, like Jesus. Our love is to push them towards Christ. You know, the language that Paul uses here is deeply personal. It says that Christ has washed us. Friends, you can't love your wife from a distance this way. It means you get up close and personal. I used to work in a vet clinic uh, for a while through high school. There's a guy in our church who owned a clinic, and they had a boarding kennel, and sometimes some of these dogs, when they were staying there for an extended period of time, would need a bath. And so I was the guy who, you know, was spraying out the kennels in the back, getting paid by the hour, and I'd have to wash some of these dogs. And some of these were big dogs. I'm talking like, you know, Rottweilers that you have to pick up off the ground and put them in this chest-high tub and then clean them off. And if you wash a dog, and some of you guys who are pet people know this, you come out dirtier than the dog comes out clean. I mean, it just gets all over you. You end up soaked because they're shaking and they're kicking and they're jumping and it just gets all over you soap and dog smell and hair and all of it which is why we don't have a dog in our house because I know what happens when you get up close and personal with a dog like that when you wash a dog it gets on you listen husbands if you're going to love your wife with a sanctifying love you can't do that from a distance it means you have to roll up your sleeves 
it needs you get you have to get close it means personal contact and it means that some of that mess is going to get on you but it's worth it because that's how jesus loved us did he love us from a distance no. Every, every year at Christmas, we celebrate the glorious truth of the incarnation that Jesus took on flesh. He became one of us and came down here to dwell among us. And he got the mess on himself, didn't he? He touched lepers. He took the children onto his lap. He walked in our shoes. Not just that, as he hung on the cross, he took our very sins upon himself so that we could be made pure and made clean. Husbands, love your wives with a sanctifying love. Jesus enters into our mess. He loves us personally. He helps us. He walks with us. He encourages us. He corrects us. He instructs us through his word by his spirit. And brothers, our love for our wives is to be sanctifying in this deeply personal and caring way. So let me ask you, husbands, is your wife more like Jesus because she's been married to you? Is she? Some of you may say, yeah, I give her lots of opportunities to grow in patience and to grow in forgiveness um, and to grow in service. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, I'm not talking about you being a bum and giving her a chance to grow in patience and forgiveness and service. I'm talking about you making direct contributions to her spiritual health and to her life and to her growth. Do you provide spiritual leadership and help? Do you pray for her? Do you lovingly confront her when necessary? Do you support her and aid her when she's weak? When she wants to follow Jesus, but it seems too hard. This is what God calls you to do, to love her in a sanctifying way. Friends, there's a great danger that we would see our wives as partners in raising a family, as friends to share life with, but not see them as daughters of God whose greatest need is to know Christ and to become like him. So let me ask you, do the decisions that you make as a leader in your home factor this in? Do the decisions that you make factor in the spiritual health of your wives and how things are going to affect her growth, her sanctification, her spiritual health? I'm serious. I think this is an area of major failure for many Christian husbands, that we factor in money and time and how things will affect our kids. But what about the soul of our wives? Is that a primary priority for us in the decisions we make, in the way we run our homes, the way we lead our families? Do you allow the busyness and distractions of life to choke out the spiritual life of your wife and to steal her energies, to steal her focus? Or are you leading her to the Lord on a daily basis through prayer, through your speech, through your example? Husbands, we can't make our wives grow, okay? Okay. You can't. You're not supposed to be the Holy Spirit and actually change her. You don't have the power to do that. But we will be held accountable for whether our love seeks to move them towards Jesus or whether it doesn't. If we neglect their spiritual health, if we withdraw from the arena of sanctification, if we're not trying to put them in a position to flourish spiritually, then we're very simply not loving them the way that Christ commands. And friends, that is sin. Some of us need to confess right now and to seek God's forgiveness. And then we need to turn and apologize to our wives because we've left them to fend for themselves when it comes to their spiritual walk. Brothers, we must love our wives in a sanctifying way. There's a third point here in what it means to 
love our wives as Christ loved the church. It also means that Christ-like love is long-term in its aim. It's long-term. Again, going back to our text in Ephesians, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, look at the long-term goal of Christ's love for us. Here it is. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me ask you this. Church, are we there yet? Are we holy and spotless, without wrinkle or without blemish? No. We've got a lot of issues here today. We're all still sinners. We're all still in process. And you know what? Christ is loving us and purifying us and changing us so that who we will be then is not who we are today. 1 John 3, 2 said, Beloved, we are God's children now. Praise God for that. What a gift of grace. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Friends, the love that Christ has for us, this, the love that purifies us, it is long-term in its goal. Which means that although our love and our feelings may be things that ebb and flow, things that come and go, they may be moment, momentary emotions, Christ-like love is not a moment. It doesn't happen on one date. Christ-like love is a marathon. It's a lifetime of loving. The goals we have in marriage cannot be accomplished in the short term. This is not a weekend project. We're called to a lifetime of faithful love that has a long-term goal in mind. You know, in order to go the distance in marriage, in order to persevere in forgiving and bearing with and sacrificing and serving, I'll tell you what, friends, we're going to need God's power. We're going to need God's grace our own hearts must be resting in the gracious gospel that, that marriage is supposed to be a picture of. Don't attempt this kind of long-term, marathon, sacrificial, sanctifying love. Don't try it on your own because you'll fall flat on your face. This is too hard for us to do by ourselves, but the good news is you don't have to do it by yourself. God empowers us to do this by his spirit. And so as you look to the long-term goal of marriage, Make sure you're resting, trusting in his power to get you there because it's only divine power that can change the church and can preserve the church, can transform the church to be what she needs to be. It's only divine power that can help us to love our wives in this way. So we've looked at the what. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We've looked at the how. We're to love our, li- our wives in this way, sacrificially, taking initiative, seeking to sanctify them, and it's something that's to last the distance. There's a third point this morning. Husbands must embrace a Christ-centered basis for marital love. This is the why. Why do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? We've seen that we are to do it. We've seen how it's supposed to look, but why? Why must husbands embrace this kind of duty to love our wives in this way? Well, Paul gives us a Christ-centered basis for marital love. Look with me back again to our text in Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 28, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his 
body. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why we are called to love our wives this way, in addition to just obeying what God tells us, which should be reason enough, but a reason why we are to love our wives this way is because this is the right response to the reality of our union with our spouse. Union with our spouse means that loving her is actually beneficial to us because she is an extension of us. We are one flesh with our wife. We have this deep and mystical and radical union with her that means as we love her, that's actually beneficial for us. You may hear all this talk about sacrifice and sanctification and how costly it is. And you might say, wow, that doesn't sound like much fun. Some of you single guys might be saying, man, if that's what marriage is, do I really want to sign up for that? But here's the amazing thing. This kind of love for your spouse actually brings incredible blessing for you. Incredible blessing. Incredible joy. This is much deeper than the simple saying, you guys probably heard it, right? Happy wife, happy life. You guys have heard that, right? This goes deeper than that, okay? There is personal reward in loving your wife because of the radical union between man and woman in marriage. Two become one. One of my I actually love doing weddings because I love everything that a wedding pictures. And I love that image of two people coming together, taking one new last name because they are a new, a new unit. They've left father and mother and they're cleaving together. And God is creating this new thing. Jesus says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. When two become one, there is a physical and emotional and spiritual union of a man and woman who become one, one flesh. Paul calls men to see and understand that our our duty to our wives is given to us in light of this amazing reality. And not just to see the joy of loving your wife, but to reach for it. Paul says, listen, I'm holding this out to you as motivation. If you love your wife this way, it's actually good for you. It brings you joy. It brings you blessing. And he's not just giving us permission here, men, to seek our own joy. He's actually commanding it. He's trying to help us be happy in our marriages. If you love your wife this way, you're actually loving yourself. Loving your wife is a duty that brings its own reward, that is its own reward. I love what Hebrews chapter 2 says. It says, That Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus looked to the other side of the sacrifice, to the other side of his suffering, to the other side of the darkness of Calvary. And he said, that's worth it. I want that joy. I want that glory. And so I am going to do this. I'm going to lay down my life for these sinful people. We do the same in loving our wives. We look at the difficulty and the cost and what and the sacrifice and we say it's worth it to have this kind of a marriage for my wife to grow in Christ's likeness for me to do what God's calling me to be. This is going to bring me joy and I want that joy. And I'm going to reach for that joy out of faith and through obedience to these commands. So let me ask you husbands, do you see your marriage this way? Do you see your wife as one with you, one flesh. I think this is such an underrealized truth in our marriages. Too often, if you're married, you know this is true. 
too often, we revert back to that adversarial posture of Adam and Eve after sin. Marriage under the curse. Me versus you. Two separate people vying for control. Two people who say, if you meet me in the middle, I'll meet you halfway. Two separate people who want their will to be done, who want their own needs to be met, who then end up competing with one another and manipulating one another to get what they want out of marriage. As if mutual happiness is not possible. As if giving all of yourself to the other means you're going to miss out. But friends, when two people see themselves as one, then love and service becomes a joyful duty that brings reward and blessing. How much would change in your marriage if you looked at your wife through this lens? Not as an adversary, not as other, but as your own flesh and bone so that you nourish her and cherish her and care for her the same way you do for your own body. Union with our spouse means that loving her is actually beneficial to us. But it's more than just what's happening in our own marriage relationship. This is actually a picture of something much greater. In verses 31 through 33, we see that union with our spouse means that loving her is a picture of the gospel. Look in verse 29, actually. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Get this. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You know, Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, calls himself the bridegroom. And you know what he, where he performed his first miracle? Does anybody remember what Christ's first miracle was in the New Testament? Not creation, like Scott talked to us about on the, on the camp out. But his first New Testament miracle in his earthly ministry. It was at a wedding. It was at a wedding. Jesus is making an announcement about who he is. That the party can really get started when the bridegroom is there. And Jesus is the bridegroom. In Revelation, at the end of the New Testament, we find this massive feast, this huge celebration, and it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is the bride of Christ, and he is its bridegroom. And, and another metaphor here is that Christ is the head and we are the body, members with him. Our faith in Christ unites us with Christ. And Paul tells us, tells us that in a deep and mysterious way, the union of a man and woman in marriage points to that union of Christ and his church. The one flesh reality of marriage points outside of itself and away from itself to an eternal truth. Marriage is temporary. It only lasts for a lifetime. But Christ's love for his church is eternal. That spiritual reality is eternal. And that's what our marriages are to be patterned after. This infuses our marriages with a sacred significance that they point to the gospel. Friends, this is why I think the instructions to husbands gets more emphasis in Ephesians 5 than the instructions to wives. Think about this. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. And if both spouses will obey the teaching of the scriptures, then marriage will be a picture of the gospel and a good picture of the gospel, an accurate picture of the gospel. But what happens when one person is unfaithful and the other person is faithful? Consider how our roles are different. What if a wife is submissive, if she does her part, submits to her husband as to the Lord, but what if her husband doesn't lead? What if he doesn't initiate? What if he doesn't sacrifice? What if he doesn't love her towards Christ? 
What if he doesn't lay down his life for her? What if he's selfish and self-seeking? What if he doesn't treat her as his own flesh and bone? Then you know what? The marriage picture has been broken. It's been distorted. That kind of a marriage does not and cannot picture the glorious love that Christ has for his church. But flip it around. What if a wife falls short on her end? What if she doesn't submit? What if she's resistant to his leadership? What if she doesn't live out the reality that she and her husband are one? But on the flip side, her husband does love her like Christ. Even though she doesn't always respond to it, he initiates, he leads, he sacrifices, he forgives, he forbears again and again and again. And he loves her with a sanctifying love, praying for her daily, encouraging her towards Jesus. Even though she is unfaithful, you know what you have in that marriage? You have a beautiful and accurate picture of the gospel, don't you? Because you know what? We don't always submit to Christ perfectly. We sin, we wander, our love grows cold, our faith fluctuates, but Jesus is always faithful. Jesus always loves and forgives and holds us fast, as we sang this morning, by his grace. Husbands, this is the model for our marriage. And this is why it's so essential that we love our wives as Christ loved the church. So that our marriages tell this story to the world about what the love of Christ for his people looks like. So let's put this into practice. How do we do this? Husbands, I want to call you this morning to look to Christ. Look to him, first of all, for forgiveness. If you've failed, if you've not lived up to this standard, which I would bet money is all of us, not just bet money, I'd point you to Bible verses and say, listen, this is all of us. None of us have lived up to this. We likely need to seek the forgiving grace of God this morning. But I also want you to look to Christ Not just for the grace that forgives, but the grace that empowers. Seek his help to love like this. But I also want to call you this morning to look to Christ for a model of love. Reset your sights on this target. I mean, think about your marriage. What are your goals for your marriage? What do you want to see change? How do you want to see it grow? If being a picture of Christ's love for the church isn't the first thing on that list, then it needs to be rewritten. It needs to be changed. Recalibrate the compass of your marriage to focus on true north. Look to Christ for a model of love and sacrifice and joy. I want to encourage you also, pray. Pray for self-awareness. Pray that God would show you ways in which you can grow to be more like Christ in your marriage. Pray for self-awareness to see what needs to change, to, to understand the needs of your wife, to understand your own shortcomings. And I would also encourage you to communicate with your wife. You know, the last two weeks, we've talked a lot about marriage. It's actually been three weeks, if you go back to our theology of marriage. Three sermons on marriage over the last month. If there's a need for growth in your marriage, then you two need to talk about it together. And husbands, you need to initiate that conversation. You need to initiate it. You need to say, listen, here's what I want our marriage to look like because we must submit to Christ and to his word. And here's some things that I recognize need to change. Here's the areas I need to change in. And I'm sorry for how I've not loved you as I should. And here's the new goals I want to establish. And you know what, husbands? You need to ask your wife, what do you see? What do you see in our marriage that needs to change? Do you see things in my life that I'm blind to? Receive her insight. Because she's not just your wife. She's also your sister in Christ. She has the Holy Spirit in her if she's a believer. And she has insight to apply scripture and to help you in that way. You need to listen to her. 
there needs to probably be some mutual confession and forgiveness if there are problems in your marriage. And then there needs to be a conversation that seeks to reestablish biblical goals and priorities. And I would encourage you to, you need to affirm your love for each other and affirm your commitment to follow Christ. Those two things have to go together. Affirm your love for one another as you have these conversations, as you confess and you forgive and you strategize for what needs to change. Affirm your love for each other and affirm your commitment to follow Christ. Perhaps today can be a new beginning of sorts in your marriage as you seek to bring your life into conformity with the scriptures out of submission to Christ through the power of his spirit according to the truth of his word. Friends, this is a high calling None of us have gotten there yet, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. But it is a duty that brings joy and blessing, great joy and blessing, not just to us, but to those around us. Husbands, your wife will flourish if you love her this way. Your children will thrive. Our church will be strong. There, is great, there are great gains to be had as we seek to obey these instructions. As those who have received Christ's love through the gospel, it's our joyful duty to show Christ-like love to our wives, initiating, sacrificing, encouraging and helping them towards holiness, and persevering in this task until Christ returns or calls us home. May God shake us out of our shallow and self-focused love so that we can display this gospel-shaped, Christ-like love to our wives. Father in heaven, we ask, first of all, for forgiveness today for the ways we so often fall short. I pray that you would recalibrate our goals and our aims in marriage, that you would empower us to lay aside our desires and needs and wants so that we can sacrifice and serve as we should. I pray, Father, that you would give us a deep satisfaction and joy in Christ because the only way we can love like this is if we know that we need nothing from our wives because we have everything we need in Christ. Lord, for those who are single this morning, I pray that they too would be able to know that they have everything that they need in Christ. And Lord, for those wives whose husbands do not love this way, I pray that they would know they have everything that they need in Christ. His perfect love is not just some external standard. It's actually something we have received, something that we possess. I pray, God, for those of us as husbands that you would empower us to change, that you'd help us to be faithful, and that you would be glorified as we seek to love our lives in this way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.